just want a burn for you. So set me on fire. Come on, can you just lift your hands this morning at Uproar Conference? I am not here because I had nothing better to do. As a matter of fact, we're in the busiest season of my entire life. We're planting a church in Colorado Springs that's launching in the middle of a global pandemic. But I just believe that this morning there is a deposit from the presence of God that's going to be transmitted to your heart by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And for those of you who are hungry, God's Word says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I'm just wondering, are there any young people in this region that want to be filled with the knowledge of God, filled with the fullness of God? Come on, we're not here to play games this morning. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to do whatever He wants to do in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, we say that you are welcome here. We say that we avail ourselves before you. We can do nothing without you and we would never dare try. God, these are perilous times in which we are living. It's confusing. It's chaotic. But I just believe that your solution to the chaos, to the division, to the frustration, God, is a glorious church, specifically a movement of young people who carry fire in their bones and burn with the love of God to see you change a generation and so we are asking, we just dedicate this session to you, Father. Would you come and tabernacle among us? Would you come and dwell here? Would you come and establish your kingdom in a greater way in the hearts of young men and women this morning? God, it's our hearts cry that you would use this for your glory that you would speak through us, that you would heal through us, that you would, that you would demonstrate your power and communicate your presence through us, Father. So we honor you and we bless you and we thank you. While you are still standing, I want us to go straight to the word of God. And um, you can just continue playing there. I want to go straight to the word of God, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. We're going to read 1 through 7, and then a few more verses in the middle of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we we cannot see, but through their faith, everybody say faith. So you must understand this, every single person, faith is the currency of the kingdom. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. You, we receive everything we receive from God by faith. How do you know that you're saved? By faith. How do you know that God loves you? It's by faith. How do you know that God has a plan for your life? It's by faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. So by, by faith, the writer of Hebrews says, by, by faith, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. Verse 3 says this, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed 
at God's command. We cannot understand creation without tapping into a realm of faith. Everybody say faith. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Verse 4 says this, it was by faith that Abel, everybody shout Abel. Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Verse 5 says this, it was by faith that Enoch, everybody shout Enoch. Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he, he was known as a person who, who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Verse 7, it was by faith that Noah, everybody shout Noah! Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Skipping down to verse 24. It was by faith. Our last example is Moses. Everybody shout Moses. When he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter because he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. May the Lord add a blessing to the reader and the hearer of his holy word today. We are asking this of you, Jesus, for this cause I bow my knees, said the apostle Paul. God, I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice, those who are on the live stream and those in this room, that we would look a little bit more like Jesus, that we would be conformed a little bit more to the likeness and the image of the God-man, the Son of the living God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be a good session. Come on. Come on, tell them like you believe it. Go ahead and have your seat. Thank you so much. Go ahead on and have a seat in the presence of a holy and a powerful God. Uh, I am, my name is Brandon Cormier. I hail from the dirty, dirty south of Lake Charles, Louisiana, southwest Louisiana, where all the best food in America is. I don't care if you believe it or not. Uh, I am from the south, but in 2011, relocated to the city of Colorado Springs, Colorado, where uh, it is uh, 0% humidity. The summers are perfect. The winters are awesome because we have dry power powdery snow, not this stuff that just kind of piles up and melts over time and gets slushy and disgusting. It's absolutely beautiful. And um, I am married. I think you have a picture of my family. I am married to uh, uh, to a beautiful girl. Her name is Octavia. And then uh, I think you have pictures. So I can see it, but nobody else can. I'm seeing it up here, but can y'all put everybody else in there? I know what they look like. Okay, there we go. So that is, so that's my wife, Octavia. And then I have two little girls. Uh, the youngest, her name is Nora Grace. 
voice, and she is a fireball, all right? Uh, and then we have Ryan. She's seven years old. I'm just surrounded by girls, but... As the Lord has seen fit to hear my cry, all of my time spent playing with Barbies, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just like in Barbie, just like Barbie world, like Barbies everywhere, like black Barbies, white Barbies, Hispanic Barbies, teacher Barbies, model Barbies, all, all these things. And so now in about 16 days, my little king is going to be arriving. So I got a boy on the way. Come on, somebody. Come on. That's the answer to prayer. So we got a boy on the way. So you can go to the next picture because I just, I just love my daughter so much. I think you have like one more picture of like, oh, Nora Grace. She is the cutest thing you'll ever see. Okay. And then Ryan, she just, I mean, hit him. Hit him with the pose, girl. All right. The shadows and everything. All right. So that is Ryan and Nora and my wife, Octavia. And uh, I alluded to this earlier. We are in such an amazing season of life because we are planting a church. Apparently, Jesus thought it'd be a good idea in the middle of a global pandemic for a new church to start. So we, you know, I am preaching by faith today. I'm really preaching to myself. Y'all are just here to listen in because I need all the faith in the world. So we're planting a church literally in the middle of a global pandemic in about six weeks. We're launching a church called Zeal Church. Everybody say Zeal Church. All right, because zeal for God's house has consumed us. That's a, that's a scripture that's in the Old and the New Testament. But I want you to pray for zeal, church, as the Lord leads you. All right, anytime you hear the word zeal, just say, God bless zeal, church, and may Colorado Springs be changed, uh, and, and may zeal, church, be a blessing to the city. Okay, do y'all have prayer lives? Do y'all pray around here? Come on. How many of you showed up for the 9 a.m. prayer meeting this morning? Come on, where are the radical ones at? Come on, you're the hungry ones. The Bible says that, the Bible says that everything that happens according to the word of God happens by, through, and in prayer. And so please know that not one prayer is ever wasted. That hell fears whenever the weakest of us prays. Can I get a good amen this morning? Are y'all going to help me preach this morning, by the way? Y'all going to help me? Y'all going to help a brother out? All right, cool. So, so, so this morning, I, uh, there is a word from the Lord for you. I, um, you know, there's one type of person I think that that many of us are are just automatically automatically drawn to. All right, it's people who do who do great things. It's it's people who possess a certain sort of uh, of like grit, like a like a like a boldness, like this this thing on the inside of them that says I'm not like everyone else. You know, there's a reason why some of the highest grossing uh, 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 movies of all time have to do with, with superhero movies, whether it's in the Marvel universe or whatever. As a matter of fact, I just, let's just settle this real quick. On the count of three, I need you to tell me who is the greatest superhero of all time. And we know Jesus. I'm, I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm just talking about like superhero. So on the count of three, like just let me know, okay? One, two, three. Aquaman? For real? <laughs> That's the best we could come up with? What y'all doing out here in New York? What's... <laughs> That's literally a first. I mean, I've asked this question all over the country. <laughs> Can we do a little bit better? Come on, what about this section over here? Like the greatest superhero of all time, like 100%. Batman? Batman? Yeah? Batman? Thor? Listen, I go hard on Thor. I mean, I'm like the whole, the, 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 what's the thing called? The, this thing? The hammer? It's a hammer? 
Is that a hammer? Okay. I just, you know, there's something about, okay, but y'all, what, what about, like, don't sleep on Dr. Strange, though. Like, what about Dr. Strange? Are we not, are we, not, we don't like Dr. Strange? I just feel like seeing into the future and all these various outcomes, it really touched my spirit. Okay. What about, okay, anybody else? Captain America? Yes. The, <laughs> yes, she is for sure. Okay. Any, like Captain Marvel? No. Yes. No. What's. You looked offended. Why? Why? Why the offense? I'm just saying people's name. Okay. What about the? Um, what about Wonder Woman? But okay. But seriously though, how do? Like I feel like Wonder Woman was better than than Captain Marvel. And like, in terms of the movie, are we agreed on that? Okay. Cool. Because listen, Captain Marvel. Mm, you know, Wonder Woman. She went hard. Okay. Um, and then Aquaman was just there. It's just, oh, stop. Stop it. I just, no, no, no. Stop. <laughs> okay. What about Black Panther? Come on, somebody. Come on. It's Wakanda forever. Okay. That's the biggest crowd. That's all I needed to know. All right. So, so I think that there's something, I think that there's something that, that draws us, that moves us, that inspires us to follow people who do great things, people who seem to possess like something from another world, like, like this thing on the inside of them that drives them to do great things. I, I think what I, would, what I would call these people, like what they possess is something on the inside of them that's almost like, 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 like say I won't and then, and then watch me do it. You see what I'm saying? Like it's, they possess this thing that's like it inspires you to want to do something more than what you would have wanted to do before. It's people who live countercultural, people who seem to possess something from another planet. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of the writer of Hebrews is encouraging this group of formerly Jewish Christians, all right, not to not to give up because they're they're in the middle of hardships. They're in the middle of trials and persecutions. And I know your life is hard, but listen, ain't nobody trying to kill you because of just like like you're you naming the name of Christ. Like they're not throwing rocks at your head, trying to slit your throat, trying to stab you. I mean, that's what these Christians were going through, like severe persecution. You see what I'm saying? And so for the writer of Hebrews, what happens is several of them are turning away from the faith and going back back to their old life, their old way of living, like the pre-Christ way of following God. They were reverting to Jewish traditions that were taught in the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews is telling them, listen, you can't turn back. You got to keep pressing forward. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, he says, be careful then and make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. See, for the writer and the author of Hebrews, the Christian life cannot be lived apart from faith. And for the writer of Hebrews, faith cannot be defined or lived out devoid of action. For the writer of Hebrews, faith equals action. It's connected to not what you say, but what you do. And that what you do flows from a place of who you are. And who you are is determined by your level of revelation, your understanding of who you are in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul prayed, I pray that God would give unto you a spirit 
of revelation. Revelation is a spirit. You can read the word of God all day. You can sit in church your whole life, but until the spirit of revelation grips your heart and begins unlocking truths about Jesus, you'll remain in the same place you've always been your entire life. This is why we must pray, God, give me a revelation. God, let me see. God, I want to see you a little bit more clearly than what I saw you yesterday, than how I saw you last week, than what I was seeing and what I knew about you last year. Give unto me a spirit of, of revelation. You know what I love is a good example. I love I love examples because, see, see when people give examples, it, it, it makes it, it makes it so much easier to, uh, to understand things. I remember whenever I was in elementary school and we were learning like just basic math, like arithmetic for the very first time. And like, I remember like young elementary school, maybe kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I can't remember. But, but the teacher, it was like, okay, Brandon, um, what is six minus four? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I was just like young. I wasn't like dumb or anything. I was just like young. You know, just kind of, you know, taking these, you know, abstract concepts. And so I'm like, mm, I don't really know. But she's like, okay, Brandon, 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 what's your favorite, what's your favorite, like, snack or treat? And I'm, I'm like, oh, like Snickers. Like, I love, like, just Snickers bars, like the bite size, because I don't like the big I like to, you know, I like to get, you know, like multiple, like, little ones. You know what I'm saying? And so, so she's like, Brandon, if, if you have, like, six Snickers bars, you know, that your mom sent you to school with, and I take four of them, how many do you have left? And all of a sudden, that example connected to two. I'm like, one, two, three. No, my mama sent me to school with six Snickers bars. I'm going to need you to go on and give back four of my Snickers bars because I only have two left. So six Snickers bars minus four Snickers bars only leaves me with two Snickers bars. Give me my Snickers, you know. And uh, But then all of a sudden, like, Snickers turns into numbers. And, like, this abstract concept turns into a concrete reality because I have the bridge of an example to walk across. And all of a sudden, I understood I am so glad that we have examples because, because here's, here's my heart for you. I think that Jesus wants to take you a little bit deeper in your faith. And I want to give you, I want to give you some, some examples of, uh, uh, of a few people. So, so some examples from history. So go down and throw this because I, because I feel as though maybe you don't know what I'm talking about whenever I say, gosh, like, like say I won't. That, like that's the level, that's the lane, that's the expression of Christianity that God is calling every single one of you to begin living out. So let me give you a few examples. So go down and throw that first picture on the screen. See, see, see this man, this man, I think his picture's there. Are y'all getting a picture? So this man, while they're working on that, this man said, say I won't lead a march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in protest to racial discrimination and injustice concerning voting rights at the same place where this man and 600 other people were literally beaten to a pulp with billy clubs just two days prior. This man from history, his name is Dr. Martin Luther King. And the idea is that he was like, say I won't protest racial injustice and discrimination on the behalf of an entire race of people. Say I won't. And then watch me do it by the grace of God. By the grace of God. There's another man, there's another man in history you don't know his name, but heaven knows his name. He said, say I won't 
start a prayer meeting in a small, obscure chapel in the nation of Wales in the 1920s that eventually led to a national revival that broke out in the 1920s. And let me tell you, the result of this revival was an entire police force being laid off because crime had dropped so low in the entire nation of Wales because so many people were getting saved and so many criminals stopped breaking the law that they didn't even need law enforcement anymore. This man's name, you don't know his name, but heaven knows his name. His name is Evan Roberts, and he started a prayer meeting just by himself with a few other people in this small little chapel. I've actually been there just a few years ago. And from that prayer meeting, a nationwide revival. You want to know what else happened from that particular prayer meeting? The entire nation began changing its laws. Businesses began closing on Sunday so that they it would acknowledge that that is the Lord's day. So literal, literally businesses started shutting down to honor God. So that no one would be without excuse or with an excuse as to why they could not go to church. His name was Evan Roberts. Everybody say Evan Roberts. He said, say I won't start a prayer meeting and watch me do it by the very grace of God. Another, another person from history, you, you, you won't know her name, but, but, but after her wedding, she gave birth to her first son. And 11 months later, that son died. And in the next spring, she had a, a second son and devoted all of her attention to him. And seven weeks later, he died. And then three years later, she gave birth to a little girl. And, and then two years later, a second little girl, not long after that, she and the newborn almost died. They recovered, but then soon after the recovery, she left the baby with a sitter who knocked a gas lamp into the crib, and then the child was burned alive. And in the midst of grieving... She heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, trust God. She made a decision to believe that God was good and loving. And she knew that in the midst of everything, God was working things out for her good. She went on to become one of the most influential female evangelists in the mid-1800s. You don't know her name, but her name is Phoebe Palmer. And some 25,000 people came to know the Lord because she said, say I won't take every ounce of pain and hurt in my life and allow that pain to propel me forward into the purpose that God has marked out and written out for my life since before the time I was born. Say I won't give all of my pain to Jesus and allow him to take my pain and translate it into a greater purpose for my life. Say I won't and watch me do it by the grace of God. By the grace of God. I am so thankful. That's her, Phoebe Palmer. And then finally, the last example from history that I want to share about. See, 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 this man, again, you won't, you won't know his name. You probably won't even recognize his face, but, but he was the son of a slave. He was blind in one eye from smallpox. He grew up extremely poor. And, 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 and one of the Bible, st Bible schools that he attended was, was segregated because of Jim Crow laws. And, and so, so, so he wasn't able to participate in prayer meetings or, or Bible studies. So he literally sat outside the door of a Bible school that was taught by a white man 
He, the door was cracked. He pressed his ear up against that door so that he could listen in and be taught the word of God specifically about the power, the person, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit down in Houston, Texas. That man moved to California. He started a prayer meeting on this street known as Bonnie Bray Street. And as that prayer meeting grew and grew, that particular man literally became the voice and the father of an entire movement here in the United States known as the Azusa Street. Revival. He was the son of a slave. He was a black man leading a prayer meeting that literally the nations begin to hear about at a time whenever blacks didn't even have all the same rights and the privileges of other races. But that man said, Say, I won't bust through every single ceiling. Tell me I can't do it. Say, I won't. And watch me do it. Watch me start a worldwide revival from the place of prayer. Say, I won't. And watch me do it. By the grace of God, say I won't. These are examples from history, but I am so thankful that God gave us examples to live by found in the 11th chapter of the book of, of Hebrews. See, Hebrews 11 is otherwise and better known as like the, the hallway of faith. It's the, it's the hall of fame for people of great faith. And here's what's interesting to me. As the writer of Hebrews begin to chronicle the lives of different people who've lived out their faith in such a radical way, he starts with... Abel. Everybody say Abel. It's interesting to me because Cain, his brother, is passed over. I mean, he killed him, so, you know, that makes sense. And, but, but Adam and Eve are passed over. And here's the thing that I often wonder as I read the book of Hebrews, or as I read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, is why is it that the writer of Hebrews starts, who, why does he pick who he picks, and why does he start with Abel, the second-born child of Adam and Eve? And here's what's interesting. Abel's story is found in Genesis chapter 4 for those of us who are unfamiliar, right? What, but, but here's my question. What's so great about Abel that the writer of Hebrews would say, hey, if you're going to pattern your faith and your life after someone, why does he start with Abel? What has caused Abel to be included in, in what I want to reference as a say I won't lineup? And here's the conclusion that I've come to about Abel. Abel was a worshiper. Everybody say worshiper. Abel was a worshiper. And here's the deal. If you're going to be a say I won't man or woman that God has destined you to be, the first essential is to worship. And here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. To worship, what I mean is giving God what he wants. It's worshiping God on his own terms and not your own. So, so number one, if you're taking notes, and I suggest that you do because note takers are history makers. Come on, somebody. And so, so number one, here's what I mean. If you're going to be a say I won't man or woman of God, a say I won't man or woman of great faith, number one, the first essential is to worship God on his own terms. Abel gave God what he wanted. Let me ask you this. What is it that God's wanting from you in your worship right now? Do you have a relationship with God? <laughs> Do you hear his voice? Do you allow him to speak to you both through his word and through leaders and mentors and pastors and friends in your life? 
Because if you do, if you check yes to all of those things, I assure you that there is some expression, some form, some sacrifice, some offering that Jesus is asking you for even now in this season, but also in these moments that we have together over the next few days. And my question is this, are you going to give God what he wants? Worship is not worship because it's based on your terms. Worship is worship whenever you give God what he is asking of you. And let me be real plain. Romans 12, Paul said this, Romans 12 verse 1, I beg of you by the mercies of God, in full view of the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. I'm not going to get any amens. Amen, Pastor Brandon, holiness. Yes, Pastor Brandon, that's good preaching. Come on, holiness. I want to be holy. I want to live a holy life. Yeah, I know. We don't talk about holiness as much as we should in the word of God, but the Bible still says, be ye holy, for I am holy without holiness. Not one of you will see God. So what does holiness look like in your own life? We cannot offer God pure worship without a revelation and an understanding of God. I want to be and I want to live a holy lifestyle that I am presenting before you. My worship is pure. My worship comes from a place of holiness. Worship is giving God what God wants, what God is asking of you in this moment and in this season Abel was a worshiper. You know, it's really, really difficult to worship whenever you don't have a personal, vibrant prayer life. Because here's what I've discovered. Prayer is like inhaling. Worship is exhaling. So what happens whenever you come into the presence of God and you're with the people of God, it's almost like if you, if, you, if you don't have a prayer life, if you haven't been engaging with God throughout your week, it's like, it's, try, it's like trying to exhale without ever inhaling. And so your worship looks like this. <laughs> but whenever you've been spending time with Jesus, which is far more important and far more invested in, in your relationship with God. What happens is you, you, you pray throughout the week, and then whenever you come together, nobody has to tell you to lift your hands. Because you've been, you don't have to tell yourself to exhale whenever you've inhaled. It's like, exhale now, exhale now, exhale now. No, 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 because you've inhaled, you, you've been praying. So whenever you come into worship, prayer is inhaling. Worship is exhaling. Father, you have been so good to me. God, I just bless your name. Jesus, you have been such a friend to me. You've been a healer to me. You've been a provider to me. God, you showed up for me whenever no one else showed up. God, you have given me everything that I need and a lot of the things that I want because you love me so much and you're a good, good father. Nobody has to tell you to exhale whenever you've been inhaling. Prayer is like inhaling. <gasps> Worship is exhaling. It's a worshiper. Jesus said in John 4, the time is coming and now is that God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in 
truth. He was a worshiper. That's what we learn from the life of Abel. Our next example that the writer of Hebrews outlines for us is a man named Enoch. Everybody say Enoch. Enoch. All right, Enoch's story is found in Genesis chapter 5. Here's what's crazy. You can't just read the Bible. You got to read the Bible, right? So Enoch is here. The writer of Hebrews, arguably, arguably most, as he's writing, he, uh, he, he says some things about Enoch, like Enoch was born. Well, actually, he's going through kind of like a, 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 like a, uh, a family tree, a chronology, like going through people who were born. And so he says, like, this person lived, and then they lived like 80 years, and then they died, and then they lived 105 years, and then they died. And then he gets to Enoch, and he says, he lived, and he was, and then he just was not, for God took him. And you're like, hold up. <laughs> like, let's read on. Enoch was, and Enoch was not, for God took him. And it's like, well, that's what we're doing now? We're just taking people? Like, what, what do you mean God took him? Like, did he kill him? Did he burn? Like, I don't understand. And, and, but the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. Enoch had this tight-knit relationship with God to where he's just, like God was just his, his friend, his, his comrade, his, 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 his homie. His, 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 he's just, they, they just connected a heart. And so it was almost like God said, okay, Enoch, like you're, like you're, like he's, he's here and they're just, they're just walking together. And all of a sudden, Enoch, as he's walking with God, he ends up, Literally in the throne room of God himself. Because it's like God, God was like, Enoch, I just love you so much. And we're so close. I don't even want to wait any longer. I want to be face to face with my friend, Enoch. But here's the trip about Enoch. Enoch was borderline the only one in his entire generation that was serving God at the time. And we find it hard <laughs> to follow God because we only have five friends who serve God or three friends or two friends or a hundred friends. Enoch was the only one in his generation. The only one. But he did not allow that to stop him from living a life that pleased God from living obediently to the Father. So, so here's, what, here's what your Bible says about, here's what your Bible says about, about Enoch. He pleased God. So what do we learn about Enoch? Why is he number two in this, in this, in this, in this lineup of, of say I won't hall of, hall of fame faith people? Well, I believe number two, if you're going to be a say I won't man or woman of God, you've got to make a decision, number two, to be a living, breathing contradiction to the current culture. A living, breathing contradiction to the current culture. A living, breathing contradiction to the current culture. What does your life look like compared to those who are not following Jesus? Is there any difference? Is there anything that marks your life, the way that you speak, the things that you watch, the music that you listen to? Come on, somebody. The things that you post on your social media. The things that you allow to come across your feed on social media. Is there any difference? Because here's my concern. 
after 12 and a half years of youth ministry and preaching across the country and to the nations, I believe that God still has reserved. I think that he still has chosen a group of people, a remnant of young people, who like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the same spirit that says, I will not bow or bend to the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age. My life is his. My body is his. My attention goes to him first. All of me for all of him. And I just believe there's a handful of you, at least in this room this morning. Here's what I know. This message is for some of you in this room. Because where you are in your walk with God, you have been asking him for more. You have been asking him to go deeper. And God always responds whenever we say, God, we want more of you. You know what his response is? What price are you willing to pay? And therein, see, this is, yeah, that's good. That's five of you. Wonderful. I'll just preach to you. Because listen, this thing became real to me in high school. I am not preaching something that I just started living out. Like, I'm 36 years old. I know I don't look like it. Black don't crack. But here we go. So at 15, hey, at 15, at 15 years old, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in my kitchen. January 21st, 2000, 3.45 p.m. A televangelist was preaching on TV. Old school, Rod Parsley. <laughs> Give a baptism of the Holy Spirit altar call. And in my kitchen, I encountered the Holy Spirit in a way that I never encountered him before. Started speaking in tongues for the first time as a freshman in high school. Nobody else around. And it put me on this journey of burning for Jesus throughout high school, started prayer meetings on my high school campus, started prayer meetings on my college campus, praying with intercessors in their 60s every week on the phone at 5.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. on a weekly basis, crying out to God for revival. Let prayer meetings on my college campus, all night prayer meetings, prayer walking, praying over houses, praying over the city, doing all of these things. I had no aspirations to become a preacher, a pastor, a youth pastor. That was the farthest thing on the radar. But here's what I know. Whenever you say yes to him and you ask him for more, he says, what price are you willing to pay? So there were prices that were paid in my teenage years. Here's what I know. Your teenage years sets up what your 20s are going to look like. What prices are you willing to pay now that will secure for you a life in your 20s that is blessed, that is marked with the favor of God, but also the fire of God? This is what separates good and great. This is what separates normal, average Christianity with say I won't level Christianity. It is prices that you are willing to pay. I wish I could tell you the many times on Friday nights whenever I really wanted to be with my friends, but there was this thing that was constraining me where the Holy Spirit was like, I just want you to stay in your bedroom, stay at home, and I want you to pray for your friends, and I want you to pray for your high school, and I want you to pray for a move of God in your city, and I'm like, like, for real? And he's like, yes. Are you willing to pay? It's what separates. So I guess the idea is what, what price are you willing to pay? Does anyone have any interest in being a say I won't man or woman of God? 
in your generation. And if there are three or five of you, that's how it only took 12 willing ones. Acts 17 says this of the disciples. These are they who turn the world upside down. It's a handful. It was a handful of humans who were fully submitted. What would your high school look like? What would your junior high look like? What would your family look like if you were fully submitted, all in, all the chips on the table, saying, Lord, okay, no more games? We talk a good talk, don't we? (laughs) And we're excellent at wearing, like face masks are not a new thing. We've just been wearing them spiritually. The physical face masks are just a manifestation of what most of us in the church or many of us in the church have been wearing for years. And then we're offended somehow. We're more offended by physical face masks than we are with spiritual face masks of pretending. But that's a whole nother story. I believe that God's saying, pull the mask off. Because if you want the real me, I need the real you. I want the real him. He wants the real you. And here's the cool thing. He can handle the real you, the hypocritical version of you, the lying you, the deceptive you, the you that struggled in sexual immorality but nobody else knows about, but he says, I know about, because there's nothing hidden from him. All things are laid bare before him. And so we can pretend for those around us, or we can pretend like we're really happy and full of joy, but he sees that hidden area of heaviness on the inside of you, and he says, God says to you, say, I won't heal you, and watch me do it. But he's asking you to say, say, I won't reveal the real me in your presence, and watch me do it. Say, I won't stop pretending. Say, I won't, and watch me do it. So we have Abel. Everybody say Abel. And then we have Enoch. Everybody say Enoch. And then our third example is Noah. Everybody say Noah. Verse 7, by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, godly fear, godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to to faith. Now, now Noah's story, what he's referencing here is found in Genesis chapter, chapter 6. The Bible says that Noah walked with God and he was perfect in his generation. Noah didn't exactly fit in, but, but was it better to, 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 to fit in or be different? See, see, if you're obsessed with fitting in, here's what you need to know. Fitting in will eventually lead to you falling away. Your obsession with fitting in, blending in, fitting in will eventually lead to you falling away. Because living easy for God is really, really hard. But living hard for God is actually easy because you're all in. The Bible says that Noah, Noah moved with godly fear. See, delayed obedience is often disobedient. So I ask you again, what is it that Jesus has been asking you to do? What has he been asking you to let go of? What has he been asking you to speak? What has he been asking you to post on your social media? What relationship has he asked you to begin? What relationship has he possibly asked you to end? Because delayed obedience is disobedience and godly fear leads to obedience. 
Now, again, we can't just read the Bible. we got to read the Bible. Like whenever we read the story of Noah, we just kind of gloss over it like, oh, Noah built a big boat. And, you know, we think, we think like heaven almighty. But you've got to understand this. It had never rained before. It never rained before. So God tells Noah, I want you to build a boat and water droplets are going to fall from the sky. And so many little drops of water are going to fall from the sky that it's literally going to flood the whole earth. And Noah's like, I don't even know what rain is, but yes. And we become obsessed with understanding everything before we say yes to God. And he's just looking for obedience. It's just that simple. Obedience. So Noah build a boat. What's a boat? Noah, build a boat. Okay. Noah, it's going to rain. Noah probably thought, what's rain? But yes, Lord. He was moved with godly fear. Do you trust God enough to say yes to God, even whenever you don't understand perhaps what the outcome is going to be? It's godly fear that moves us to a place of instantaneous Obedience. So number three, if you're going to be a say I won't man or woman of God, that God has actually called and anointed and purposed for you to be, you've got to quickly obey. Quickly obey. And then our final example is a man named Moses. Everybody say Moses. Oh, Moses. Verse 24 and 25, it says, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But it also describes him as avoiding the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin. Sin feels awesome for a season. Sin is amazing, <laughs> or so we think. Feels good for a season. The Bible says it, the pleasures of sin are, are fleeting. But in the moment, in the middle of sin, it feels awesome. To gossip about somebody, to punch somebody, to engage in sexual immorality, to look at pornography, all those things. In the moment, it is fleeting pleasures. And here's what Moses said. I'm not going to engage in the fleeting pleasures of sin. As a matter of fact, Moses said, I refuse to even be called the son of, of Pharaoh's daughter. I, I, in other words, he was willing to pay a price of discomfort. Because he knew that sometimes discomfort is connected to destiny. So he wasn't obsessed with just pleasure. He avoided the fleeing pleasure. So, 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 so for Moses, what, what, what do we learn about Moses? Or why would Moses be, be, be listed in this say I won't lineup? Well, well, here's what I think. Noah made a decision that each of us have to make at some point in our lives. I made that decision at 15 years old and I never went back. And here we go, number four, it's to break ties with the world. To break ties with the world. And I just have a sense that there are some of us in this room this morning who love God, but we also love the world. <laughs> And I don't mean like in the for God so loved the world, John 3, 16 kind of way. I mean the pleasures of the world. <laughs> we love to be known. We love to be celebrated. We love likes on all of our posts. We like for people to celebrate us. We like for people to want us, to desire us, to, oh gosh, the thought of rejection by our friends, it's too much. <laughs> 
That's too high of a price to pay, Jesus. I thought I was just signing up for fire insurance because I don't want to burn in hell. And he's like, if that's, if that's what you're, if that's all I mean to you, then keep it moving. Because I'm here about relationship and you conforming to my image daily. This is a journey of knowing God. So I guess my question is, who, who really wants to know God? Because 10 years from now, I don't care how many messages you've engaged in, how many altar calls you've responded to, but what it's really going to come down to is, was there anything in you that said, God, there is no price that is too high. There's no sacrifice that is too great. Here is my life. Because I want to know you. Because I want to follow after you. Other reason why I think that Moses is listed in this say I won't line up is not only did he break ties with the world, verse 27 says this he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. We are obsessed with what we can see, we are obsessed with that which is temporal or temporary. We are obsessed with things that make us feel awesome right now in the here and now but Moses lived his life in such a way the Bible says that he sought the invisible so I guess the the last sort of example the last sort of the last sort of of characteristic of of a say I won't man or woman of God is that you seek the invisible you seek the approval of heaven over the applause of men and women around you and listen to me well to live that life like like, if you want to be about that life, you, you've got to be okay with sometimes being misunderstood, sometimes being rejected every now and then. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a life of doom and gloom, but, but this is a part of it that I think we don't talk about as much as, so then it sets you up with false expectations. You come to Jesus and you think that your life is going to be magical and mystical every day. And that whenever you open up your Bible, you're just, it's going to feel like you're just floating on clouds. And the audible voice of God is going to open up to you and the heavens are going to part. And there'll be rainbows and sparkling things all around you. But then whenever you really get on the journey of knowing God, you realize that most of your quiet times, there's nothing glorious that happens at all. It's just you in an empty room or in a coffee shop and you with your version app on your, on your phone. And you're just pressing through and you don't feel a thing. But because he's worthy. <laughs> is I want to know you, Jesus. I'm not in it. If God has to make you feel something every time you're with him, you're not in love, you're in heat. <laughs> it's, at some point, is this too much? Is this okay? I don't know. It's, it's fine. You'll, you'll be okay. I'm not here to make friends. I have a lot of friends already. And so I'm just, I, it, see, as I look back over the journey of pastoring young people and living for God in my teenage years, in my 20s, I think that there's something, a shift that, that has to happen in all of us where we have realistic expectations of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm not sure that through the years that we, the church, have done the greatest job of articulating to you what it actually means 
to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is, 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 is like, it's like the senior pastors of this church who just, who like just start a church like 20 years ago and just be faithful to it. Like just faithfully pastor people, faithfully love, faithfully pray, faithfully worship, keep showing up over and over and over again. And when you don't feel like it, pray. And when you don't feel like it, read your Bible. And when you don't feel like praying, tell, talk to Jesus about it. And when you don't feel like being pure and whenever you don't feel like you see what I'm saying living and it's like we just we just we just we just do it anyway because there's a resolve on the inside of us that says my feelings will follow my decisions not the other way around because if we're purely led by what we feel will crash and burn and if we get too obsessed by what we feel whenever the feelings go and the feelings fade and they will you'll fade too but if you possess something that says, Jesus, I am got through hell or high water or challenges or God, I'm just I'm all in whatever that means. And I just think if there are a few of us who can lock onto that reality, you and Jesus can do something pretty amazing in your generation in your city, on your school campus, that years from now, here's my, one of my favorite things about Abel. The Bible says that his sacrifice still speaks to us today. What are the things that you're doing in your junior high, your high school campus that is going to be speaking to people five years from now, 10 years from now? Last year, I got a text message from a, from a good friend of mine. I, we, we went to high school together. Her name is Shilpa Naleshwar. She is um, of Indian descent. She grew up a Hindu in Hinduism her whole entire life. Last year, I got this text message for on my phone from her and we're still friends on social media Facebook Instagram and all of that and she was watching a few clips of me preaching I didn't even know that she watched that but she's like hey Brandon it's your good friend Shilpa and I just want to let you know I've been following you on social media and I need to let you know that I'm following Jesus now and I remember in high school whenever you used to pray in the example that you were to me and so many of our other friends this is a full-blown staunch Hindu her mom and dad are still Hindus today but she found the Lord and here's what I remember I remember the Friday nights praying for Shilpa at the foot of my bed. No one else around. I remember inviting Shilpa to my youth group. She came one time and it was like this big party that night. Nothing, nothing that I knew actually happened, but there was a seed that was sown. This is over 15 years ago. But all those prayers that I prayed for my friends to come to know God. 15 years later, Shippa's on her way to heaven. She has a little boy now. She's married to a Christian guy. And I mean, just all of these things. But, but here's the deal. No, it's, it's, I think that's one of the ways that God gives us an opportunity that what you do now, you need to understand this. You want to be doing things that echo in the hallway of eternity. What are you doing right now? That's going to continue to echo and reverberate in the hallway of eternity. I need to remind some and inform others of who you are as the worship team just begins playing because I, we have so many examples from, from, from scripture, from history. my favorite quotes from a guy from church history he says whenever Christ calls a man or a woman whenever he calls them he says I bid you come and die <laughs> come and die <laughs> and in a culture that's obsessed with telling you how to live 
feel compelled to teach you how to die. And what I mean by that is dying to your own fleshly desires and your your desire to be known, your desire to be great, your desire to prove something to someone, your desire to compare yourself and be better than someone else around you, your desire to whatever it is, your desire to pretend, your desire to fit in, whatever. I feel we've got to do a better job of teaching you how to die. (laughs) Because Jesus said only if you're willing to die, if you lose your life, You'll find your life. It's an upside down, flipped around kingdom. The world says, make yourself known. You have great treasures and riches. And Jesus says, be hidden. And and you'll find holiness and happiness. (laughs) But I know that's not super sexy. That's not like, whoa, that's awesome. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I'm trying to live my best life out of here, Pastor Brandon. (laughs) See, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is death and destruction. When Christ calls a man, he, he bids him, hey, come and let me teach you how to die to yourself and die to the things of the world and die to the expectations of your parents and your generation or your family or your teachers or die to those expectations because what I have for you is so much better. And what I have for you is so much more impactful. And what I have for you is for you to do something that's going to outlive you. Something that's going to speak beyond you. I don't know about you guys, but that's the life that I that I felt like in my spirit. I didn't know how to articulate it. But that's the life I wanted to be about whenever I was a teenager. I just didn't know. So like engaging in pornography or like crazy music and all of that, it was, I was reaching, I was, I was grabbing, I was after something that I didn't realize it'll never satisfy. I just didn't know. And for some of us, that's your place that you're in. Like you've been doing all these things that it's like, I just didn't know. I didn't know. But now whenever truth comes to you, you have a choice. You have a choice. You're more powerful than you think. You've got more authority than what you know by and through the blood of Jesus. But I must tell you who you who you are because some of you have forgotten. It's like you have an identity crisis. You've forgotten who you are. Let me just remind you. I actually want you to close your eyes because I'm going to read a passage of Scripture and I just want to, I want you to begin seeing something that that perhaps you haven't seen in a while or you've never seen before, I need to let you know who you are. I need to tell you what your DNA and what your bloodline actually is because it doesn't matter how you got here. It just matters that you're here. It doesn't matter what your family life looked like prior to this moment. But let me just tell you about the stock from which you come. Hebrews chapter eleven thirty-two. It says, how much more do I need to say? That's how I feel this morning. How much more? How many more examples do I need to give you? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak 
and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and they ruled with justice and they received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hidden in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Open up your eyes. This, this is the blood that you have running through your veins. This is the lineage and the heritage. This is the stock from which you come from. People who paid whatever price for God. People who were sawed in half because of their faith. People who were jeered at and mocked and spat and stoned. All of those different things. And their confession is this. We do it all over again in a heartbeat because we love God. Our life is not our own. And you mean to tell me you can't share your faith with one person? <laughs> what? What? Huh? You, you mean to tell me you can't spend like 10 minutes praying for your generation every day? Are you kidding? Do you think that you'll make it to your destiny without walking through the doorway and the hallway of prayer in your teenage years? Do you think that you'll make it out of your teenage years without a vibrant, passionate life of prayer where you're engaging with Jesus? Do you think you'll make it there without the power and the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit in your life? What? what could be. I wonder what might the Lord have in store for a few people this morning who would say, Jesus, whatever you're asking me. See, I wonder if there are a few phrases, a few personal declarations. of. So, so, so let me give you an example. My, in my teenage years, here's what, here's what I say. Say I won't be a virgin whenever I get married. Whenever all of my friends are doing crazy stuff around me, say I won't. I'm here to tell you at 26 years old, I married my wife, still a virgin. I was able to give to her a gift that I hadn't given to a hundred other people. What a special. See, for some of you, it's say I won't. Start a prayer meeting. Whenever it is that we go back to school, just say I won't. If I got to show up all by myself and pray for my school. Now, let me tell you, I'm not 
speaking of something like theoretically. This is what I did. Me and five weird people in my school. Super nerdy. Like the most strange, bizarre looking people in my school. I, I actually scheduled the prayer meeting like really early before school because it'd be like social suicide being caught with these nerds. But I mean, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I grew out of it. But in the beginning, I'm like, "Ooh, you weird. But they were the only people that showed up to my prayer meeting. So we prayed together. And over time, we became friends. But at first, I'm like, well, you like we're weird. What's your say I won't phrase? See, for some of you, it's say I won't. Say I won't allow the power of Jesus to break this secret addiction that I got going on that nobody else knows about except for me and Jesus. Say I won't. Say I won't be so public about my faith in Jesus. Say I won't befriend the strangest, most rejected person in my school for the sake of Jesus because it's what Jesus would do. Say I won't go out of my way and invite someone in my friendship group to the next youth gathering that we have at my church, whether it's a small group, say I won't and watch me do it. Others of you, it's way more practical. It's say I won't finish high school and be the first person in my family to graduate from high school. Say I won't walk in the calling that God has for my life. Say I won't walk in purity throughout my teenage years and throughout my 20s. Say I won't be so passionate and radical about sharing my faith with everyone around me. Say I won't make my bed whenever I get back home because that's what my parents asked me to do. Say I won't walk in obedience and submission and break this generational curse of rebellion in my family. Say I won't and watch me do it by the grace of God. Say I won't. I feel faith rising in this room. For those of you who would respond to him, faith is the currency of the kingdom. It's the currency of the kingdom. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. Say I won't and watch me do it. There's a group, teenagers. It's in the early 19th, a late 19th century. And here's the deal. They had heard about, it was, it was a group of, of believers, and they had heard about this group of people who had never heard the gospel before. And they just said, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't fair. And we're going to go and we're going to preach the gospel to them. But here was the catch. There were a group of people in the British West Indies who were enslaved. And the only way to get the gospel to them is for them to willingly enter into slavery, like be slaves. And so whenever the option and the opportunity was presented, this is a group, and uh, it led to, a, led to a, 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 a national, worldwide international missions movement, but it started with these two teenagers. Names are Nichman and John Dober. And they were about 17 and 19, both of them. And here's the deal. It happened in this small little village in Germany. I've actually been there. It's called Hernhut. And as they were there, presented with this opportunity 
to literally sell themselves into slavery, sell themselves into slavery to go and preach the gospel. They looked at their parents. They had to get on a ship and they said, we'll go. I'll go. And as they got on the ship, as the story goes, their parents and their community, they were known as the Moravians. They were there on the shore and, and these two young men, these two teenagers, look back and while everybody's crying and weeping for them because they know that they're going into slavery, they're going into these harsh conditions. They said this, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that phrase alone became the phrase of an entire movement of world missions started by the Moravians and that was their cry. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May I ask you this? What reward is Jesus receiving from his suffering as a result of your life? What is the lamb receiving? I want you to stand to your feet this morning. That's every example. That's every, that's every, every pattern I can give you to, to follow and to mark your lives after. And so at some point, there's got to be a moment just responding where you say, oh, Jesus, I sense you calling me. I hear your voice speaking to me. So here are the questions I want you to think about. You can respond accordingly. How's your worship? Are you giving God what he wants? Are you giving him what he is asking of you right now, right here, in this season of your life. Number two, how's your life compared to the world? Is there any difference? Is there a life of holiness that you are living out where there's a there's a, there's this, this clear like, nope, I don't do that. Here's what I do do. Here's what I, yep, yeah, that's, mm, yes, no, no. There's black, there's, yeah, there's, are you happy to live in the gray? <laughs> Third question, how's your obedience? And by that, here's what I mean. What's the last thing that God asks you to do? Have you done it? How's your obedience, you guys? Remembering this, delayed obedience is disobedience. Third question have you broken ties with the world? Or are you happy to live in both worlds? Like Jesus and all these other side things. Jesus will never be satisfied being your side chick. <laughs> he just, he won't do it. He says, I'll be the number one. I'm Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. That's how clear it is, you guys. Have you broken ties with the world? And then finally, are you seeking the invisible? Or do you live for the praise of man? Are you living for the opinion of others?
I want you to bow your heads right where we are, right where you are. Holy Spirit of the living God, I thank you that you are breathing in this place, in this moment, in this space. I pray that you would make yourself more real to us than the person beside us, than the person in front of or behind us. And I ask you right now to shine your light from heaven. I pray Psalm 139, 24, and 25 over every single one of us. Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, shine your light and expose us because you love us. Your word says that you correct those whom you love. Don't leave us in our confusion. God, if there's anything in our lives, on our lives, flowing through our lives that is not pleasing to you, would you expose it now? You are rich in mercy, abounding in grace to a thousand generations. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. What's keeping us from being a say I won't man or woman of God? What's hindering us, Holy Spirit? Would you reveal it now? 